Deep Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing. I'm your host Huang Shan, stepping in for He Yang. Good to have you on this ride. Daigo or surrogate shopping is back in vogue in China, but this time it has new twist. As China's middle-income population has expanded, so has their disposable income and desire for quality goods. They are rarely found in traditional grocery stores. This has led to the rising popularity of members-only retailers. Since customers in smaller cities don't have access to such wholesale retailers, brick-and-mortar stores, and some shrewd consumers are unwilling to pay for the membership. New opportunities are emerging for surrogate shoppers. For consumers, is this the greatest deal ever, or just a consumption trap? And our special segment, Heart to Heart, is on the way. If there's something bothering you and you need a good listener, or if you have achieved a new victory in life and want someone to share that joy, why not send a voice memo to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com? Roundtable is always there for you. For today's program, I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterill on the line. First, on today's show, membership bulk retailers are mushrooming in China's big cities, catering to an increasingly affluent and selective consumer base in the country. Due to the limited number of physical stores, a new style of daigo or surrogate shopping has offered these retailers a chance to expand their business to a savvy clientele in smaller cities, who are craving a well-selected array of goods. What are the reasons behind this trend, and how has the interpretation of daigo changed over the years? Li Yi, can you walk us through how have these membership-only retailers burst onto the scene in China? Yeah, I think in recent years we've seen a surge. I think we can call it as a surge of those membership-only bulk retailers in China, and especially in bigger cities like Beijing and Shanghai. And、uh, for example, Sam's Club, which is owned by Walmart, and also Costco, and also some local. Supermarket chains like Yonghui and Hualien, as well as Alibaba's grocery brand Homa Fresh, they all try to release this membership-only version business towards a wider、um, audiences or users. And somehow, not everyone is、mm. buying this membership-only service. However, you know people. Are looking forward to experience like shopping in this kind of supermarkets, and so that just leads to this so-called daigo or surrogate、mm. shoppers. And for example, if you look at the service fee of Sam's Club for ordinary members of this Sam's Club, you have to pay like two hundred sixty yuan per year, and then there's like a premium version which. Just to cost you like over six hundred yuan. Wow! So that's pretty expensive, especially when you compare it with other traditional supermarket chain. So for some consumers who want to experience like shopping in the supermarkets, who want to experience like using certain products offered by this kind of retailers, however, they are not willing to pay such a huge amount of money. They will just turn to those surrogate shoppers who provide such service. I think they are more like to be a middleman for、mm-hmm. you know between these retailers and and also regular consumers. So they just、uh, have their own membership cards and they can enter into the supermarkets and somehow those regular consumers who don't really own such cards, which is the Place their orders, and those like middlemen will just help them to get what they want to buy. And of course, they they are also get profits from that process. Maybe just a, a little sum of money, but they are just doing it in like with a large number of deals. And in the in the end, they can just profiting. So this is basically, I think, a new business mode, especially with the surge of these membership only retailers in China. 
So it's very interesting to see this. Relatively, we can say it is a new trend、mm-hmm. because, like for years, we have seen media reports are some media reports. I would say are suggesting that uh, um, traditional supermarkets are losing their edge in both price and product range and have begun to fade from the public eye. But this form of retailers is emerging in Chinese market.、Uh, I think. Compared to traditional supermarkets,、uh, they are either、uh, people are either driven by novelty or the pursuit of bargain or just a higher quality of goods. So customers are lured into such members-only retailers. So Josh, as membership-only retailers are flourishing in China, I want to ask you a question: Are you a frequent customer or are you a loyal customer of such,、uh, you know, wholesale retailers? But members. Only, I am not. The only thing that I can say that I have been a member of that might be some sort of equivalent is when I've been purchasing very technical equipment for work or something like this. I I work in sound, anything to do with sound, and sometimes there's some very technical equipment that my company or I may need to purchase that you cannot find a price anywhere for. You have to be a member or. And be integrated with the company who actually makes them. But this isn't something that I'm particularly involved with.、Um, I'm not really a fan of buying in bulk.、Um, I don't really like doing that personally.、Uh, I find it to be a little bit just boring or too much. There's nothing that I want that much that I need to buy it in bulk. But I'm very familiar with this service actually because it's very popular in the UK. And I remember. Even when I was younger, that we had one of the biggest companies in the UK is called Bookers, and anybody who might be listening to this from the UK or who's even lived there may have heard of this. And Bookers wholesale, wholesale, we call it a cash and carry. And although you need to be a, a member to get this, we also had a similar sort of surrogate buyer thing going on, where if we knew somebody who had the license, then we'd just go along with them and. There's many reasons why it was great back then because it's not just lower prices, but you actually have an opportunity to purchase a really wide range of goods that you may not be able to find otherwise. And also, it's really convenient as well. For example, opening hours. I noticed that in China, that for example, supermarkets they open a lot later than in my own country. But these wholesale wholesale stores are basically open twenty four seven. Okay, so this consumption trend, I would say, is emerging in China and is gaining traction in the country. So it has created new opportunities for surrogate shoppers. One thing, as I think Li Yi earlier mentioned, is about the membership threshold. I think in this way of consumption. Membership only is the keyword, so you have to purchase the membership card first before you can have access to such、uh, wholesale stores.、Uh, so for many people, especially those really thrifty as well as frugal consumers, they are not familiar with this、um, method of consumption because they feel like I should have free access. To all kinds of stores or supermarkets, then you are charging at a decent amount of money for entering the store. So very likely, many people are not buying that idea. Yeah, and if you happen to be、uh, in a city that has physical stores, that has access to such brick and mortar stores, well, yeah, I I agree with you, Josh. You can borrow cars from your friends or your family members, and for some of these、uh, membership stores, they will give you. Two membership cards. For example, you just pay for one membership fee. However, it will give you one main card and the other card you can attach to that main card. However, for people who are living in、uh, smaller cities in China, maybe they don't have access to such brick and mortar stores because、uh, at the very beginning, I think these wholesale retailers with the keyword membership only, and they are focusing on a target audience,、uh, maybe in 
first-year cities, I would say, like、uh, Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen, and it gradually expanded to second-tier cities. I mean, the emerging-tier cities, which are relatively smaller than the four first-year cities I mentioned earlier. However, for people who are in lower-tier cities or even smaller towns, they don't really have the access to such physical stores. However, thanks to Social media. While the internet has offered a plethora of information to people, no matter where you are. So thanks to that, I think the digital、uh, gap or digital divide has been gradually narrowed. As a result, with more disposable income and more information online, they would like to purchase some、uh, good quality products,、um, though they don't have the access to the physical store. As a result, well. Great opportunities for surrogate、uh, shoppers because these people can open an e-commerce shop or even just use the convenience brought by WeChat. They can establish their stores embedded in this、uh, messaging app. So, Lee, in your opinion, how or in what way this trend of the popularity of members-only retailers are creating new or You know, creative opportunities for surrogate shoppers. Well, I think if you look at the business system of、mm. this membership-only、uh, box retailers, of course, there are certain opportunities where、uh, that surrogate shoppers could really grasp. For example, if you look at Sam's Club,、um, you know, according to its own、uh, system, if you own a so-called premium membership card, then Basically, the more you consume in the supermarket, the more coupons you will get afterwards, and those coupons can be really directly used next time you shop in the supermarket. So that means for those surrogate shoppers who own such premium、uh, member card, they can just basically earn earn their money based on like. Shopping for others and without really spending a penny in their own pocket, and still they can make money from those、uh, coupons. So that's one opportunity I think being offered to those surrogate shoppers. And meantime, particularly we're talking about wholesale supermarkets、yeah. and、uh, box size retailers. Usually, when you look at those products being offered by these retailers, is usually in jumbo size. And if you are like a regular consumer. I don't really think if you are there's only one or two members in your family, you would just need that large sum of products within one week or within one month. However, so there also lead to another opportunity for surrogate <laughs> shoppers, I would say, because they can just、uh, somehow play as a middleman and they can just、uh, buy those products and distribute them into smaller proportions, and they can just、um, easily just、uh, sell them with a higher. Price per unit to other consumers, and they can also profiting from this、uh, model. So you know, I think there are different opportunities. I I would say lucrative opportunities for those surrogate shoppers. However, I think we also need to talk about like why these、um, membership only box retailers are requiring membership at first place, especially when you look at those. Like regular customers who have their membership cards and who are not really doing this surrogate shopping business to others, and who are just using their own cards to buy their own stuffs, is it really ruining their shopping experience? Because in theory, if a retailer is trying to offer this so-called membership service, it's supposed to offer the best and very personalized or even targeted service to its members. So when these surrogate shoppers are like flushing. Into the supermarkets and trying to distribute different products to a wider range of、uh, consumers. I would say maybe the shopping experience of those other regular consumers would be ruined or would be hurt because、um, you know those membership-only retailers are supposed to offer very targeted service to those members and they're supposed to do very good work on selection of products based on. Uh, the preference of their own members. However, when you are somehow encouraging this kind of surrogate shopping, is that really hurting other regular consumers' willingness to come to your supermarket next time? So that's a question mark. Yeah, that's for sure. I believe for some people, for the parties involved in this business, some are welcoming the idea because it's bringing in. 
revenues to the retailers as well as、um, you know for the surrogate shoppers because they can have a business opportunity、uh, in this regard. And but for regular customers, someone like it, someone doesn't like it for sure because for a regular customer who would like to visit the brick and mortar stores, I will feel like. It may getting way too crowded because you are seeing those surrogate shoppers、uh, flooded into the shop. And、uh, but if you are a customer who really don't have like such a retailer, I mean the physical store around you, then you may embrace the idea. Like for many people, especially if you are a single person, sometimes. As Lee mentioned, the big bulk package could be too big for you. So, Josh, as a regular customer or just like everyday customer, would you welcome such surrogate shoppers into a relatively exclusive, or these like you have to own a membership card to enter this kind of shop? So, do you think it will ruin your shopping experience? Do I think it would ruin my shopping experience? To be honest, not that much. I'll be honest. I rarely go into the supermarket myself, and I will get it delivered to my home. It seems to me like humanity's desire for convenience really knows no ends, and I just think that this is just another extension of that. Another extension of us getting food delivered to our homes, or even shopping from supermarkets getting delivered to our homes. So, but occasionally I will go to the supermarket. Um, especially if I'm in my home country, because I know what's there and I know how to cook it. One of the reasons I don't go so often in China is because I'll be honest, I have not yet learned what all of those foods actually do and how to cook them all. But I think that if your question is whether or not I think that this will lead to supermarkets being busier, I don't think that will necessarily be the case. I think it might lead to. Supermarkets having people running around a lot faster, picking up different items for different people, but it might even lead to supermarkets being quieter. Actually, because if there are just surrogate shoppers there, that probably means that they're shopping for multiple people at the same time. Which wouldn't that equal less people in the supermarket? Maybe my maths is wrong here, but is that not、uh, what would happen? That's an interesting angle. Well, I think it really depends where the supermarkets are located, and also what kind of consumers they those surrogate shoppers are shopping for.、Mm. I mean,、um, say if there are just one supermarket in Beijing, and yet there are a large number of regular consumers who would like to shop here, yet they don't really want to pay for the member card. Maybe I think the more surrogate shoppers, the less. Uh, regular consumers you will find in the supermarket. However, we are talking about you know like a larger group of consumers. Those surrogate shoppers are shopping for. You know, some of them are really shopping for people outside the city where、mm. they don't really have such、uh, supermarkets or retailers. I don't think that will just hurt or reduce the influx of regular consumers for the supermarkets. Yeah, I think the essence of the members-only business model lies in、uh, locking in a group of target consumers,、uh, because for many people, maybe, well, as we talk about it, for single people, they would like to go in there and trying to share the bulk package stuff with people.、Um, maybe for them. The bulk package could be a barrier, and for other people, when they are going to such an outlet, it was just a place for relaxation. They want to go there for fun, and it is more than buying daily groceries. And also, people's shopping、uh, style is changing over the years. Like I, like we talk about single people, maybe the bulk or jumbo package is too big for them. However, they would like to bulk buy to store the stuff for the whole week. Then they don't need to shop every day, or they want to see. And touch the real products, and they enjoy the shopping experience. So it's very interesting because, like、uh, these、uh, stores are offering higher quality stuffs for sure, because people are comparing it with conventional、uh, supermarkets or those online dealers of fresh produce. So it seems like、uh, th- this kind of stores、um, offers 
more options of products. Um, but some people like it, some people don't like it for sure. And uh, higher cost performance is another thing. So Li, what do you think? I think, you know, although I'm like a regular customer of, of one of these membership only mm. uh, retailers, I have to say, I somehow feel like these retailers are very good at promoting themselves, mm. especially on social media platforms. And I think that kind of marketing strategy also promotes a lot of people getting interested in buying or shopping in this kind of place. Although maybe in their cities, they don't really have such retailers. So they also want to have try this kind of surrogate shopping. In theory, you know, this membership only retailers, they are offering really good quality products compared with other traditional supermarkets. Mm. And of course, they are also labeling themselves as a place where consumers can basically find anything that is of good quality and also of lower price compared with other retailers. In the meantime, they're trying to create a kind of, I would say, illusion or atmosphere that as long as you shop here, you can gain a very different experience and mm. you are sort of living also like high quality lifestyle. So especially when you look at those posts on social media platforms, you can see a lot of people are sharing their shopping experience in this kind of wholesale retailers. However, for those traditional supermarkets, which I think we've all grown up with and we have been shopping there for years, you don't really see so many promoting posts, right? So I think yeah. maybe that's just one marketing strategy of those retailers. They're trying to promote their business and trying to see which city they can really expand their business in which city has their most potential consumers. That's my speculation. Yeah, so what you mean is that uh, for such retailers, besides selling products, they are also selling a concept, mm. which is like, if you are a loyal customer of this shop, or you frequently purchase commodities products from this shop, you're living a nicer lifestyle. This is the idea they would like to put on you. So no matter you are a person in top cities or in lower tier cities, you have the right to enjoy fine quality goods. But you know, sometimes I would say when I visited such stores, in terms of the quality of products, I would say in general, they're pretty good. But there are also some products you will fail your expectation mm -hmm. because like, like every brick and mortar stores, you will find some shining points. However, some of the facts will well, ruin your shopping experience. So Josh, in your opinion for this model's booming growth, who are the target consumers of members only retailers? I think that the target audience is definitely people that live in top tier cities. Uh, from what I've read, it also appears as though a lot of people that this appeals to in the United Kingdom are also people who earn quite a bit above average income. One of the prerequisites for doing this, obviously, is that you're a business owner. I'm not sure if it's always like this. I found that you can actually get membership to some of these membership-only clubs without being a registered business. But generally speaking, in my own country, that's something that you have to have to effortlessly walk in anyway. So of course, if you are a business owner, business owners in general registered with their business, these are the kind of people that it's going to be targeted towards as well. And it might be small business owners as well, business owners that maybe aren't registered yet, but are building up their stock supply, right? Um, something like this. So uh, th this is definitely also a group of people that it's targeted towards. And I guess just individuals that want to save money. I, I think for many people, this could be something where you you look at it as though it's going to be very wasteful. And I think that's one of the criticisms that I have of this, or one of the reasons that I wouldn't purchase this is because I think I'd end up wasting a lot of this food. But I guess if you are somebody who is relatively conservative with the variety of foods you eat, for example, or produce that you consume in your household or use, whatever it may be, then maybe it's a actually more affordable option for you. Yeah, it seems like strolling around members only wholesalers is, is becoming a lifestyle for more Chinese consumers. Though there's no high end members only retailer in small cities, 
there are consumers and surrogate shopping agents serving as a bridge. So there are definitely pros and cons of this trend. And there's a reverse trend of Daigo, which has caught media attention as well. But we'll save that for another show. It's Roundtable with myself, Hong Shen, Josh Cotterill, and Lee Yi. Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after the break. I was born on the 17th of November, Delve into a world of words with Books and Beyond, a podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. I came into the world as the youngest of five children. I wondered children. what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon she... you, limpid one. Why have you taken... Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Zi underlined three points on the context to gain There was initiative. no better wine, and not to mention... The Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audiobooks will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favorite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with me, Huang Shan, joined by Li Yi and Josh Cotterell. It's always good to have you along. Coming up, if you live in Beijing, you may have seen a bunch of box-like mobility scooters dashing through the hutongs or honking their way on bike lanes and even sidewalks. Of course, they're not rare in other cities and towns. Over the years, concerns are mounting in the country about illegally repurposed mobility scooters and their careless drivers. And just recently, Beijing is taking the initiative to ban quote-unquote elderly scooters from roads. Will you applaud this move? What's more, our special segment, Heart to Heart. You can share with us your thoughts by rating and reviewing the show at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. And you can send us voice questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com to take part in our Heart to Heart segment. Now on Roundtable. You've probably seen them before. Dubbed Lao or elderly mobility scooters, these de facto electric cabin scooters have been tolerated as a convenient transportation tool, mostly for seniors. However, in fact, many of them are far from legitimate. In early April, Beijing's transportation authority has announced a ban on such vehicles from operating on public roads starting from January 1, 2024. Why is it necessary to prohibit such vehicles? To begin with, Li Yi, can you tell us more about the new regulation? Yeah, you know, recently Beijing Traffic Management Bureau has reiterated that from January 1st, 2024, all illegal electric mobility scooters will be banned from roads. And what's more, such vehicles shall not be parked on public spaces such as roads, squares, and parking lots. However, it's not really a new policy, I would say, because that's a regulation released in 2021. At that time, several departments of Beijing you know, jointly released a notice saying that we will prohibit illegal three- and four-wheeled electric scooters traveling on roads from January 1st, 2024. And in the meantime, the, the notice also prohibits the production and the sale of such vehicles within the city. So I think this time it's more like a notice for public trying to tell people that we are really banning these vehicles. And for those who are still driving or producing these vehicles, you have to watch out. And according to the announcement released by the authorities earlier, you know, those illegal scooters, like those electric tricycles or four wheelers, that are not manufactured under the certain license and also not listed in the official motor vehicle product list. And those vehicles do not really meet relevant safety or technical standards, and, the, and they are usually powered by electricity for carrying passengers or cargo. And of course, I think uh, for some industries where you know this kind of electric mobility scooters are 
useful and uh, there are their own uh, standards to be uh, released and uh, they have their own very special official models to be driven. And I think Beijing is not the only city to ban such um, so-called elderly mobility scooters. I think on March 1st, 2017, Nanjing also banned such vehicles from driving on the road. And also retailers cannot really modify such maximum speed of these vehicles. And also in Shanghai, there are also relevant regulations on such vehicles. But in general, I think these kind of so-called or elderly mobility scooters have been tolerated for years as a really I was a convenient transportation mm. tool, especially for elderly people who really need to pick up their grandchildren from schools or send them to schools and also go to groceries. However, they are really dangerous. So I think it's really good to have this official and strict regulation. Very likely for foreigners who haven't lived in Beijing before or who haven't visited any Chinese cities before, they're clueless with regard to what are we talking about now. Mm. So Josh, as a mm. native English speaker and a foreigner who has been living in Beijing for many years, can you help us to draw a very vivid picture of what you know such box-like mobility scooters look like? Sure, I will try my best to give <laughs> the most vivid picture I possibly can. I guess imagine like a tin box or something like something that you would find maybe in a garage, uh, in an old garage that's filled with screws or something like that. And then, but that box is maybe the same size as, I don't know, just times that by like 10 or something. And then that box has three wheels underneath it and has a little motor in it. And um, it's being driven by an elderly person. And um, I guess that that's about as vivid picture as I can paint of it and they look honestly I think they look pretty cool uh, a lot of them are <laughs> a lot of them are like stainless steel I quite mm -hmm. like those I think they look kind of old school and cool the stainless steel ones um, and I know that some of them are a bit more aerodynamic they've sort of rather than just being a sort of box they've the front of it is more ergonomically designed but generally speaking although I think they look pretty cool I agree with you guys I think that it's pretty important that there's stricter stricter regulations placed on these vehicles because they're pretty dangerous and I actually do some work with automobiles myself and I have done in the past and I must say that it was pretty unbelievable to me when I first moved here that there were so many of these things flying around yeah were you confused before are they real conventional cars or just electric scooters and they're the facade of a car yeah they're definitely neither of those things they're somewhere in the middle which is why they are dangerous and yeah. this gray area for automobiles has always been a very lucrative industry for businesses because if you can create a vehicle that is motorized whether that be electric or a small combustion engine or a hybrid engine whatever it is that's a really huge market right if you don't need a license to actually drive it and there are a lot of vehicles that meet the standards and you can drive them legally on the road without a license but different countries have very different regulations which is another huge difficulty with these vehicles actually because most bigger vehicles for example driving licenses are pretty easily translatable between countries. For example, if I have a driving license from the United Kingdom, I just have to go and I think register. I don't even think I have to pass a driving test to drive legally in China because these vehicles have much more standardization across the globe, right? But these smaller vehicles, it's a super gray area when it comes to like weight, power, speed, very complicated. Yeah, so though we're calling it as Bucho mm. in Chinese, if you translate into English, you may think, who are the drivers? Only the elderly people, right? But the reality is like many other people are using this format of transportation as well. For example, you know, the delivery drivers and also some people who work for the forestry and the park institutions and even people who are in the sanitation institutions uh, they are also using a similar model of this vehicle so although we don't have accurate data about how many mobility scooters are driven on roads but 
what we can tell is that it's they are very popular for sure. If we use Beijing as an example, uh, China Economic Network reported in 2019 that it's estimated that there have been over one million. Elderly mobility scooters in Beijing by 2018. That number has been rising in the past few years. They can be more popular in smaller cities and towns. Because I remember for a time, if you traveled in Beijing, sometimes if there's a gap between the subway station、mm. and the shopping mall you、mm. would like to visit, how would you do? Maybe you can take a bus, but you have to wait for a very long time because the time gap between two buses. Or you can choose to take a taxi, but it could be a more pricey option. And I think before the event of shared bikes, people may use this as a service to bring you from. Spot A to spot B, like a distance that is a little bit beyond walking distance. However, you don't have any other、uh, public transportation to achieve in a convenient way. But in recent years, I think this way of transportation has been phased out thanks to other convenient options. But apparently, we're going back to the question: Who are driving such mobility scooters, and which lane? Should they stick to? Because we are seeing this mobility scooters, they are switching lanes for sure.、Mm. Some of them will stick to the bicycle lane, and some of them might switch to the motor, like vehicles lane, or some who are you know on the safer option direction. Ah,、uh, they are trying to fight. <laughs> For the road with pedestrians, so as a pedestrian myself, I really hate this behavior.、Mm. So because now you can see the sidewalks are already quite narrow because of so many things, you know. Because like sometimes you know, the cars are taking are parking along the roads, so it forces some people who are bicycle who are who are biking they are occupying the the sidewalks as well. So. In this regard, if these cars or the scooters are entering the sidewalks, I think that's really annoying. So, yeah, maybe that's the reason why we have to ban them, right? Yeah. Also, when you look at the widths of those lanes in the cities, I think these so-called elderly mobility scooters are also kind of annoying because, for example, in Beijing, the A non-motor vehicle lane is about two meters or three meters wide. However, one single electric mobility scooter can be like over one meter wide. So that means if you are a bicycle rider, if you want to bypass such kind of vehicles, you somehow need to jump into the、uh, motor vehicle lane. Which is quite risky and dangerous for yourself and also for other car drivers, and also sometimes some elderly drivers maybe they don't really pay so much attention to the traffic regulation or signals. Sometimes they can drive really recklessly, so that could just lead to more、um, accidents or even injury and even deaths. And also, I think safety is the most significant. A factor we need to think about when we are trying to ban certain vehicles because those、uh, models are not really manufactured under certain license or under such safety standards.、Mm. So some、uh, manufacturers they would just、uh, try to just use list sum of money to manufacture those products, and、uh, many of those vehicles are not really equipped with very basic safety features such as seat belts or other like airbags. I think these. Facilities are missing in the manufacturing process, and meantime, most of these、uh, kind of vehicle drivers are elderly. So that could just lead to the fact that most vulnerable people of using this kind of vehicles could be elderly, and which could be really risky. So that's why I think the country is trying to tackle and crack down on such vehicles. Apparently, these scooters, mobility scooters, they do not undergo crash tests. Before leaving the factory, and their safety performance cannot be guaranteed. You can tell from the direct translation of this scooter that is like a 老年代步车 So originally, I think the scooter was designed for elderly to replace other method of transportation if they are unable to、uh, drive a car or、uh, ride a bicycle. This could be the perfect. 
alternative than if you don't want to walk that much. This is a very convenient transportation method. So, Josh, what are some problems you can see by using these mobility scooters? There's a lot of problems. I think the one that you mentioned about them crossing between lanes is a very important one, and I think that is a direct product of. As not really knowing what they are and not being able to define them. If we knew it was a car, then it would go on the road. If it was a small scooter or an electric bicycle, then it would go in the cycle lane or whatever. But we don't know, right? So that's one thing. But then not undergoing crash tests—that's a very serious issue. Stability as well. Three-wheeled vehicles are much less stable than four-wheel four-wheel vehicles. And one might argue, well, but surely they're more stable than two-wheeled vehicles, right? But the difference is, is of course, in power as well. And because they have such power in comparison to a bicycle, for example, or even most scooters, they'll end up going on the road, or they might drive on the road. And so,、uh, stability is a serious factor. Turning as well, things like wind. Because of the weight of the thing, and if the weight isn't regulated, there's a lot of strict legislation on the weight of vehicles, and there's a reason for this. Because if they're too light, for example, or too heavy, this can really affect their ability to to be stable. In short, anyway. Also, visibility. If they're on the road with the cars and they're much smaller, it's much more difficult for other cars to actually see them, and. Not even to mention the lack of protection as well for people in these vehicles, because when there's no crash tests or any kind of standardisation in this regard, what are crash tests actually for? They're for many, many things, but one of the reasons is to know how the car, the car's chassis, its body, will protect the driver if the car crashes, if there's an accident. Without this, we just don't know. So, I, I could go on for a long time, but I think we can all agree that they're. Uh, pretty dangerous. Yeah, if we zoom into the structure of a mobility a scooter, you could tell sometimes the circuit voltage and performance of the several large batteries assembled inside a mobility scooter was like in a random manner and are not up to standards. So, which may cause the vehicle to spontaneously ignite while charging, which is a significant cause for concern. What's more is that、uh, the quality and design seems like many of these scooters are featured in a slender build and lightweight frame, which means、um, low vehicle stability. Has been seen in the structure or in the performance of such scooters as a way、uh, there is a tendency to drift while in use. So they're not very stable and they're not very safe in some sense. And what's more, there are legal issues concerning this、uh, transportation method. Who should hold the responsibility when accidents happen? That is a question. The driver of illegal scooters, according to The relative loss. You could see, yeah, the driver of illegal scooter should be blamed for any accident that has happened in a traffic accident. So these are the problems, but we have to say they are quite popular. Why do you think they are that popular? So why are these mobility scooters are popular? If we start banning them from entering the public roads, what can we use? To replace such、uh, vehicles or scooters for elderly, I think that's a very good question because although this kind of electric mobility scooters are really being illegal, they do solve certain needs, especially、mm. from those elderly people. Although we are talking about a new regulation in Beijing, in fact, I learned that. The cities in or the regions in China with the most、uh, such kind of elderly mo- mobility scooters are not is not really Beijing but Henan and Shandong, and these two places are also provinces with the most aging population in China. I think Shandong has over fifteen. Million people、uh, aged over sixty-five, and in twenty nineteen, in Henan, the, the number is over ten million. So you can see that elderly people do need kind of such a very convenient transportation tool, especially in a typical family with senior people and with young kids. Somehow during daily time, you know, those elderly people need to. 
take the responsibility of sending kids to school and also picking up, picking them up and also buying、uh, stuffs in groceries. And、um, for them,、uh, driving can be quite dangerous, and especially for those elderly people who are over sixty, they can't really obtain a driver license in China. And also, if they are going to ride a two-wheel、uh, scooter, that can also be kind of dangerous. And so somehow, this kind of tricycle or four-wheelers become. The best option for them, and they are not quite expensive, and they are really affordable. So I think fundamentally, while we are trying to banning this kind of、uh, illegal vehicles, we are also need to offer more transportation options for different people, especially for elderly people. I think in bigger cities, we are doing great. We are building a more sophisticated and complicated and abundant transportation. System. I mean, in Beijing, there are a lot of bus lines being、mm. operated, and、uh, you can just、uh, get to the bus station very near your community neighborhoods. However, in smaller cities, people don't really have such transit resources. So I think that's what local governments and local transportation authorities need to tackle. We have to consider the effect that this will have on an elderly population. And as we've discussed many times on this show, one of the the biggest problems that elderly people face, one of the most important things in their lives to make their lives better, to make them actually have a life, is good transportation. Because as we know, as people get older, their risk of having a disability or being unable to be mobile on their own or just ease of transportation is, is huge. And so, taking this away for a lot of people is going to be. Really tough for them, especially as we know, a lot of these elderly people, for example, might be picking up their grandchildren, and that's going to be an important part of their lives and also an important part of their family's life as well. So we do need to really consider how this might affect elderly people. As much as these vehicles probably do need to be taken off the road, in my opinion, I think that we can also use this as an opportunity to discuss how to improve transportation for elderly people, because I think it's. Uh, something that can definitely happen if, for example, there were better places to walk. In my own country, in the U.S., I found some、uh, detail that I, I looked for. What are the most common forms of transportation? And walking is one of the biggest ones. Walking is a is hugely popular for seniors,、um, even if they struggle to walk long distances. But I have noticed, if I'm honest, when I'm in Beijing, it's not a fantastic place for pedestrians to walk. And there's many reasons for that, right? It's the rapid urban development, and this can sometimes come at the expense of pedestrian infrastructure, for example. But maybe this is an opportunity to to, to relook at that and discuss it further. Well said. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, Roundtable special segment, Heart to Heart. Stay tuned. You ask, we answer. Roundtable. Heart to heart. It's the hour of roundtable with myself, Huang Shan, Josh Cotrell, and Li Yi. We've received a voice question from Na, so now let's hear her out. Hello, everyone. This is Na from Beijing. Firstly, please allow me to express my thanks to all of you. I've started listening to Roundtable three months ago, and it's been improving my English in listening vocabulary a lot. Thank you very much. Today, my question is: How can we motivate ourselves to work efficiently? I'm kind of a high sense of responsibility person, but still, sometimes I feel tired of working. Of course. I myself have some methodologies. For example, drink coffee before feeling tired. Work with someone in pairs so that we can monitor each other, or take regular rests. Do you have any other experience to share, please? Thank you. Nah, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you will enjoy our show more and more. Okay, so her question is. How to stay motivated and inspired at work? Do you have any tips to share? I have to say, if we are going to talk about how to work more efficiently, I think first of all we need to admit that we are not working machines,、mm. and we can get tired from time to time. I think that's a quite natural and common thing that everyone could just、uh, 
has to face. So it's really natural that you feel tired from time to time. So don't blame yourself for that. And also, there is a golden saying that only those who know how to rest can work really well. So I think it's really important to find your own way to get relaxed and、uh, either to have a snap or to have a cup of coffee or read、uh, some books or just、uh, basically to sit there and do nothing. You need to have the period of time of just、uh, emptying your head. I would say that's pre- pretty important. And also, I think for your daily workload, you can try to not think about it as hard work. My suggestion is that try to find your own motivation. I mean, try to think about the reason why you are here. I mean, why you are do- doing this daily job, doing doing this daily tasks, and you are doing this for your own self fulfillment, or you are trying to have your own personal progression. Or you have your certain goal in the long term. So all in all, you have to know you are working for yourself, and or you are simply working for salary. You know, all this can be your own motivation, and this can make you feel less、uh, tired when you think about doing th- those、um, daily tasks. In the meantime, you can try to. Break down your task into smaller sized goals. I mean, you can just try to set some smaller and bite-sized goals every time, and so that every time you finish one single task or goal, you just feel so inspired and motivated, and then you can also get a feeling of progress and achievement, and that can also motivate you. At the end of the day, it's just a job. Yeah, I think that. You've got to don't look at this thing as as one massive goal that you need to overcome as one thing. I think that you've got to do it bit by bit, and you've got to take it one step at a time. Because these things that we're talking about here, they're they're huge. It's so easy to talk in such general terms about how to be motivated and how to do this and that. But I personally think that we've got to take it every little thing that you do that benefits your life. You can see as a win. You know whether it just be. Getting up a little bit earlier, or keeping the curtains open, or whatever it is, making sure that you're eating a little bit healthier. And although this may not seem directly connected to your job and your motivation, I think that is these are little things that you can do, little victories in your life that allow you to build and just make sure that you're doing better. And as long as you're trying to do better than you did yesterday or even the hour before, it doesn't matter. Then I think you're on the right track. Because I don't think motivation is something that comes instantly. I think that it's something that takes time, and it may even take you time to discover what actually motivates you. Because let's face it, we all have very different sources of motivation. Of course, I think after a few years on the same job, it's very easy to lose motivation when novelty is fading away. My suggestion is. Maybe you can start with identifying why you may have lost your enthusiasm. Sometimes it could be in the past your workplace was once a very positive working environment, but it has changed for any number of reasons. Or it could be the nature of your job description. What you can do is you can make a passion diagram, which means that you can create a visual representation of what you love to do. And what you do at work, and the places in which the two might intersect. What's more is that、uh, you can keep rewarding yourself for small accomplishments. And after trying all the steps or all the tips people shared, you still feel like、uh, I'm not motivated or inspired at all. Maybe it's giving you a signal. That you need to take a break. No matter it's like embark on a holiday or just go on a vacation or a hiatus from work, because this is giving you a chance to recharge yourself. Adding a side note here, you can always turn to our motivational Monday segment to find inspirations when you feel beaten down by your day-to-day routine and when you lose your rada vivra at work. That brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much for your company. You can find us on Apple Podcasts at Roundtable China. Thank you, Li Yi and Josh, for joining the show. See you next time.